0: Patriots, Patriots. assemble! Assemble. We don't don't mess mess around. around. We don't don't waste waste time. 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 Over Over here here at His Hard Line. line. Let's go!
1: from Washington DC and giving it back to you the The people. people
0: the show let's get started (laughs) greetings and good day to all you ladies and gentlemen out there i am jason your co-host with our sovereign lord and savior christ jesus at our side because he is the host with the most and the most high he is in charge he is in the captain's chair he's at the helm and behind the wheel therefore he is steering this great ship through these crazy rough waters that we call life so welcome to his hard line Today is Monday, November 20th, 2023, and you are listening to episode 638. We'll be doing a reading out of Job chapter 38, and today's t- show title is called The Sovereign's Obligation and Rights. Daily disclaimer, please be advised that I am not a doctor, holistic health expert, financial advisor, biblical scholar, or bar lawyer. I don't possess any titles of nobility or offer legal advice, and while I am a member of the Michigan General General, General Assembly in good lawful standing, I am not the official face or voice of the national, state, or county assemblies i do not endorse or advocate for violence and please note that the opinions thoughts and statements expressed on this platform are solely my own and for educational purposes unless otherwise referenced all right well as usual i want to thank all of you for joining us on today's show now roughly about 70 percent of you who listen to this podcast have yet to subscribe to our channel now my request to you is this if you find extreme value in what I offer here and you take away solid information as well as a positive message from this podcast, hit that subscribe button. Share this show with your friends, family, and colleagues. You know, because here's the thing, at the end of the day, our mission is to spread God's word, help people ask Jesus to be in their heart while addressing significant topics related to the family, true American history, and how to restore the republic of this great nation of ours through the reassembly of states and counties. Here's the thing, we are encouraging you to engage with us leave comments you know subscribe to our social media share you know and share our content and you can find all these resources at hishardline.com. all right so before we get into the reading of job chapter 38 there's a couple audio pieces i do want to play But there is one thing I definitely want to make a note of. Oh, my gosh. I tell you what, folks, if if the red pills are not coming at you fast enough, then I I don't, you know, (laughs) then you might not be paying too close attention because there is so much more red pilling going on out there in the mainstream media. It's not even funny. I mean, what, just a few days ago, I can't remember exactly what day it was, but just a couple, you know, days ago, um, I saw something hit the wires that Stacey Abrams, you know, that uh, that (sighs) I'm you know what? I'm going to be nice. I am not going to criticize. But that de facto criminal, uh, that fraudster, that uh, we're just going to leave it there, but who is running for governor in Georgia, apparently, you know, she talks so much crap about how Donald Trump is such a horrible man, but yet her very own brother, if I read the article correctly, her very own brother got arrested for child trafficking. Gee, No wonder she was probably uh, so hard against Donald Trump because, you know, uh, wasn't he the one that started the commission to fight, you know, against human traffickers and to make sure every last one of them uh, gets brought down and will not stop until every last child and woman and whoever else is trafficked is rescued. No wonder she hates Trump, because it seems like child trafficking is in the family business. Yeah, but Jason, she didn't do it. It wasn't her. It was her brother. Just because her brother is a child trafficker doesn't make her one that you know of. You don't know. And look, I am not speculating. I'm just saying that you know of. You have no idea what a lot of these people do behind closed doors. There's still so many people out there that drool and marvel over Obama. Oh, what a wonderful president he was. Look, I'll give him one thing. He was a good speaker. Very smooth talker. But see, it's the smooth talkers you really got to watch out for. But I heard he likes his pizza parties, him and Big Mike. But, yeah, Stacey Abrams' brother arrested on child trafficking. How about that? Pay attention, folks. Pay attention. Now, I want to play uh, an audio here, a uh, couple audios from my uh, a podcast that I typically listen to on uh, YouTube, Bedros Koulian. There's a couple good messages here that I think you guys might find of value. Now, typically his audience is more geared to men, but he does have some female listeners. But either way, the value of the message that he puts out is pretty solid. And I just figured I'd share a couple of them. Here's, here's one of them
1: you are not doing the things that you say you want to do when you want to do them each time you don't do them and you break those promises you begin to erode confidence you begin to erode trust and you begin to destroy your reputation with self so then i ask you if you have a bad reputation with yourself how in the world are you going to be a promise keeper to your spouse to your kids to your co-workers to the people that you lead to the people that you love the people who count on you you can't you can't be a promise keeper to them because you now have created a pattern of giving up, quitting, of eroding trust, destroying your reputation with yourself. And so you're like, well, if I could destroy it with myself, the most important person on the planet, surely I could let down my kids and be a fat, floppy, slop with gelatinous (laughs) and tell them to work out. They're not going to work out because I am not a walking, talking example of a man that works out because I'm a hypocrite because each time I say I'm going to work out and eat right, I don't. So I'm fat, I'm sloppy, I'm floppy, and I've got milkable (laughs) tits.
0: That's right. You know, if you feel like you can break a promise to yourself, what makes you think that you're not going to break promises to your family and friends? See, a lot of people, this is, I think, one of the reasons why I think our society has gotten away from being able to hold people at their word. And you used to be able to conduct business deals with just a a handshake and an agreement, a gentleman's agreement. But see, nowadays, everybody's so, you know, how do I want to say it? There's very little people out there that are really very self-disciplined. Most people just kind of give in to their childlike, you know, instincts. They just they want to do what feels good. Right. And look, I'm not I'm not saying that I am a perfect walking, shining example of what self-discipline looks like. Um, Clearly, I still cave into sometimes the, you know, some sweets. I like eating caramels and chocolates and stuff like that still. And when I say I'm going to. I'm going to give up sugar, you know, for 21 days. I end up breaking that promise to myself five, sometimes six days in. And it's like, crap, now I got to reset, restart, you know. So the reason I listen to this guy is because I'm trying to get myself in a different frame of mind. Now, I have lost some weight, of course, yes, but I want to do a straight 21 days, no sugar, no, you know, carbs, no bread, no wine. I mean, other than what, you know, comes from uh, the sugar that comes naturally from honey or, you know, fruit. But at the end of the day, you know, I need to do this for myself. And this is one of the reasons why I listen to this guy, because, you know, this guy is um, to me is motivational. Now, some might think he's very crude in how he talks. He drops the F bomb a lot. But you know what? At the end of the day, he gets men to really think about where they're, st- you know, their stage in life. And, you know, gets them to really man up and act, you know, st- you know, start taking accountability for their lives. Be a better father. Be better husband. Stop being a player. Don't be doing drugs. Stop treating women like crap. He's a very awesome guy to listen to. But yes, is he rough around the edges with his language? Of course he is. But you know what? I believe he's effective to help turn a generation of soy boys into actual masculine, healthy, healthy masculine men. Uh, here's one more Um, audio piece I want to play from. Cut number two.
1: I'm... And what we're really teaching them is right now, you've got to listen to your dad because he's got life experience. He's got time under his belt. But in the future, that same voice of reason is your gut. Don't listen to government who is trying to influence you and persuade you and make you take an injection that may or may not be good for you. Instead, what does your gut tell you? Because a lot of people that I know are saying, you know, if I could go back, I wouldn't have taken that jab. You can't take it out of you now, can you? You didn't listen to your gut because your gut wasn't tuned in because no one ever told you to listen to your gut because you've been told by the system since you were a little puppy, follow the rules and become a good
0: little worker ant. that's right follow the rules and become a good little worker ant. that's exactly it and this is part and parcel one of the biggest reasons why i think so many people are weak-minded weak-willed and quite frankly they're just so quick to roll over and submit because again this has kind of been what society has been kind of diminished to and what we've been conditioned to you know from public schools and colleges and you know the sitcoms that we watch you know it's just It's just been nothing but one big giant mass psychosis, you know, campaign of let's make a bunch of worker bees and we squash them when we have no more use for them. So again, very good, powerful messages. I thought you guys would find a little bit of value out of. So anyways, without further ado, let's get right into the reading. So Job chapter 38, a bit of a long chapter. So let's get into it. Um, I believe today I am reading out of the ESV version. So for those of you that like to read out of the English standard version, that is what I'm reading from today. Starting with verse one. Then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said, who is that? Who is this that darkens counsels by word without knowledge dress for action? Like a man, I will question you and you make it known to me. Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding who determined its measurements. Surely, you know, or who stretched the line upon it, or what were its bases sunk, or who laid its cornerstone? When the morning stars sang together, and all the sons of God shouted for joy, or who shut in the sea with doors when it burst out from the womb, when I made clouds its garment, and thick darkness its swaddling band, and prescribed limits for it, and set bars and doors, and said, Thus for shall you come, and no farther, and and here shall your proud waves be stayed. Have you commanded the morning since your days began, and caused the dawn to know its place? That it might take hold of the skirts of the earth, and the wicked be shaken out of it. It is changed like clay under the seal, and its features stand out like a garment. From the wicked, their light is withheld, and their uplifted arm is broken. Have you entered into the springs of sea, of the sea, or walked in the recesses of the deep? Have the gates of death been revealed to you, or have you seen the gates of the deep darkness? Have you comprehended the expanse of the earth? Declare, if you know all of this, where is the way to the dwelling of light, and where is the place of darkness, that you may take it to its territory, and that you may discern the path to its home? You know, for you were born then, and the number of your days is great. Have you entered the storehouses of the snow, or have you seen the storehouses of of the hail, which I have reserved from the time of trouble for the day of battle and war? What is the way to the place where the light is distributed, or where the east wind is scattered upon the earth? Who has cleft a channel from the torrents of rain and a way for the thunderbolt? To bring rain on a land where no man is, on the desert in which there is no man, to satisfy the waste and desolate land, and to make the ground sprout with grass. Has the rain a father? Or who has begotten the drops of dew? From whose womb did the ice come forth, and who has given birth to the frost of heaven? The waters become hard like stone, and the face of the deep is frozen. Can you bind the chains of the Pleiades? or loose the cords of Orion? Can you lead forth the Mazaroth in, the, in their season, or can you guide the bear with its children? Do you know the ordinances of the heavens? Can you establish their rule on the earth? Can you lift up your voice to the clouds, that a flood of water may cover you? Can you send forth lightnings, that they may go and say to you, Here we are. Who has put wisdom in the inward parts or given understanding to the mind? Who can number the clouds by wisdom? Or who can tilt the water skins of the heavens? When the dust runs into a mass and the clods stick fast together, can you hunt the prey for the lion or satisfy the appetite of the young lions? When they crouch in their dens or lie in wait in their thicket, who provides for the raven its prey when its young ones cry to God for help, and wander about for lack of food. And that is the reading of Job chapter 38, verses 1 through 41 uh, in the English Standard Version. Now, I'm not a real big fan of the ESV because I do not like how it, it, you know, words certain things. Uh, That's why I like the New American Bible Revised Edition or, you know, even possibly, like I said, the 1599 Geneva Bible. I feel like that the words are a little bit closer to the context and meaning versus what's in ESV or NIV. I've never been a real big fan of NIV or ESV. And if that's for you guys, that's great. I just have never been a big fan because of the word choices that they use here. And I feel like that because of the word choices that's used here, there's a lot of context that's being missed here right? And 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 a lot of things can be interpreted in a whole different manner. But again, I try to be a man of my word and, and, and say that, you know, I try not to discriminate and I try to go and read from different versions of the Bible. And I know I have not really touched on ESV, so I figured today would be maybe a good day to do it. So anyways, but Job, the book of Job echoes throughout the ages, right? Inviting, inviting us to contemplate the, you know, ever- Unfathomable, I guess I should say, majesty of creation, right and the wisdom behind it all. Now, in these verses, we find ourselves humbled by the questions that is posed by Job, right? Because he question you know the questions remind us of our finite understanding in the face of the infinite. So when confronted with the intricate workings of the universe, we're reminded of our limited perspective. You know, it's a moment to embrace humility in a moment like this, recognizing that, you know, that there are depths of knowledge that's beyond our reach, beyond our grasp, right? And the Lord's words challenge us to acknowledge our place in the grand tapestry of existence, reminding us that even our most profound understanding is but a drop in the ocean of the divine wisdom. But yet, amidst all this vastness that's out there, one thing is for certain, there is comfort to be found. You know, for as much as we're asked to ponder the mysteries of creation, we're also invited to trust in the one who orchestrated it all, right? Because the same power that set the stars in motion and shaped the foundations of the earth is the very force that guides our lives. And so during these moments of uncertainty, or when we feel overwhelmed by the complexities of existence, you know let us remember that, you know the trust is inherent in these verses that we read here, and just as the morning stars sang and the sons of God rejoiced, we also can find peace in trusting the unseen hands that govern the universe. You know, it's all a call to surrender our worries, right? Surrender our fears and um and our doubts right surrender our doubts to the providence that knows no bounds and so you know these verses invite us i think to marvel at the beauty and the intricacy of creation they prompt us to gaze at the wonders of nature with a renewed sense of wonder and gratitude. You know, from the majesty of the sea to the mystery of light and darkness, each element of creation whispers a wisdom far beyond our comprehension. So with that, I say, let's carry this humility forward in awe and trust forward as we journey through our own life let us seek the wisdom not only in the known but also in the unknown trusting that the same guiding force that shaped the whole universe right that goes way beyond our vision and comprehension but let let us be guided by that same force in our ever present you know lives let us find peace in the mystery and the joy in the trust that God has a purpose for each and every one of us. So typically this is where I would do a break, but I don't think I'm going to do a break. We're just going to get right into the second half of the show. And it's called the sovereign's obligation and right obligations and rights. Now, like I said, this is going to be a bit of an EDU section. Now I, I'm not going to sit here and tell you that, um, I'm reading the entire book of the Law of Nations, but I am going through and picking out chapters that kind of spring out, you know, jump out to me. And I'm reading those chapters and I'm rereading them to see how, you know, to try to internalize the information. And And then what I'm going to do is, you know, take some bits and pieces from the chapters that I read um, for these EDU segments in the second half of the show. And, you know, we're going to discuss them a little bit. Now this is, I believe, ah, shoot, let me look here for a second, wait a minute, because I I put my notes down, but let me look at the, I think it's chapter four, book one, chapter four, but let me just double, triple check, hold on, I just got a reference, oh, reference, 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 Uh, of course, and of course I don't have them, I believe that's what what I'm reading from, is chapter four out of book one of the Law of Nations, don't quote me on that, but um. Again, it's discussing the sovereign's obligations and rights. So part of this chapter reads, so here's a section I'm going to read. We're, like I said, I cherry picked a few sections that I wanted to cover and then, you know, kind of have a little discussion over it. But part of this chapter read, reads, We have said that the sovereignty is that public authority which commands in civil society and orders and directs what each citizen is to perform to obtain the end of its institution. This authority originally and essentially belonged to the body of the society to which each member submitted and ceded his natural right of conducting himself and everything as he pleased, according to the dictates of his own understanding and of doing himself justice. But the body of the society does not always retain in its own hands this sovereign authority. It frequently entrusts it to a senate or to a single person, and that senate or that person is then the sovereign. Now, I want to now that's the the reading there from from that chapter. Now I also want to tell you that when I was reading through this it was giving examples and talking about instances of you know how these how these principles are applied when when you are in a governance with a kingdom, right? When you have a king or a prince that r- rules a land. Okay. But back to the section that we just read here. So what exactly is this saying? Well, basically what it's saying is that sovereignty is the supreme authority, as we all know, right, that dictates the rules and regulations within a society, and originally this authority resides within the society as a whole, with each member agreeing to relinquish some of their individual freedoms for the collective good. Now notice they say member, right? A member in society agreeing to relinquish some of their individual freedoms for the collective good. I find that kind of interesting. Now, would that be like a member of a of a general general assembly of sorts? Or just a member of society, period, right? Like, I'm, I'm kind of curious what, what it actually means there, a member, right? But however, societies are often delegate, you know, they often delegate this authority from what we just read here, to a governing body, like a General General Assembly, right? Or like a Senate in this particular case that they say here. Or, which I find very interesting, a single leader who then becomes the embodiment of this sovereign power. But see, I don't really agree with that because they it's like the Pope. Again, the Pope claims that he is the sovereign of the world. No, he's not. No, he is not. He is not the sovereign of the world. And so the core idea is that the sovereign entity, be it a group or an individual, holds the ultimate decision-making power and directs the actions of citizens to achieve the society's objective. Now, that is a very true statement because, again, we are the sovereigns. We are the ones that ultimately hold the decision-making powers and direct the actions of the citizens, which, again, a citizen, according to the law of nations, is an employee of the government. Those are the people that listen to people like us, we the people. Citizens basically are people who hold an office within government, again, to help achieve the society's objectives. Basically, listen to the will of the people. Now, here's another part of the chapter that I want to read, and it states, A political society is a moral person inasmuch as it has an understanding and a will of which it makes use for the conduct of its affairs and is capable of obligations and rights. When therefore a person confer the sovereignty on any one person, they invest him with their understanding and will and make over to him their obligations and rights so far as relates to the administration of the state. And to the exercise of the public authority, the sovereign or conductor of the state, thus becoming the depository of the obligations and rights relative to government, in him is found the moral person who, without absolutely ceasing to exist in the nation, acts thence only in him and by him. Such is the origin of the representative character attributed to the sovereign. He represents the nation in all the affairs in which he may happen to be engaged as a sovereign. It does not debase the dignity of the greatest monarch to attribute to him this representative character. On the contrary, nothing sheds a greater lust or luster on it. And since the monarch thus unites in his own person, all the majesty that belongs to the entire body of the nation. So what exactly did we just read here? How does it fit in in, and how America is supposed to be governed based on what we just read here? Well. The concepts that are described here align with, obviously, elements of governance here in America, particularly in the framework of what a representative republic should look like, right? Because in the United States, sovereignty is vested in the people. Let me repeat that in case that went over your heads. In our country, these United States of America, sovereignty is vested in the people, which is the largest and most important branch of government when it comes to our five branches of government in the United States of America. And they delegate this authority to elected representatives who act on their behalf, so and this is why we have a constitution, ladies and gentlemen, to make sure that they are staying in whose day that that would be the political people in office, right? That we elect that we're supposed to elect, not selected by an elite power force that's trying to take over the world. But this is why we have the constitution to make sure that they are staying within their lanes and, and according to their enumerated powers listed on that United States constitution prescribed by our founders. Now, the idea of a political society as a moral entity with understanding will and rights is reflected in the nation's belief in individual freedoms, collective governance, and, and the formation of laws that reflect the will of the people. Notice that I said, the formation of laws that reflect will of the people not policy that the bureaucrats and you know these scumbags in dc try to think that they need to push forward no the formation of laws that reflect the will of the people and elected officials from local representatives to the president serve as a represent you know serve as representatives of the people that's what they're supposed to anyways entrusted with the authority to make decisions and create laws That align with the collective interest and values of the populace. Now, this passage that we just read here from the Law of Nations emphasizes, you know, or I should say, it has an emphasis on the sovereign personifying the nation's moral character and acting as its representative. uh, Can be linked to the role of a president who is often seen as the embodying of, you know, as embodying the nation's leadership and symbolizing its values on the global stage. Now, furthermore, the distribution of power among different branches of government, like the executive, the legislative and the judicial branches, um, the branch. Um, And like I said, let's also not forget, you know, the common law grand juries, right? The grand juries and the biggest branch of government, which is the people in general assembly, general general assembly. But all this reflects the principles of not concentrating sovereignty in a single individual, but preventing the abuse of power and ensuring checks and balances within the system. That's right. Here is another section out of the book. Now, this is a longer chapter, so it reads like this. But this high attribute of sovereignty is no reason why the nation should not curb an insupportable tyrant pronounced sentence on him, still respecting in his person, the majesty of his rank and withdraw itself from his obedience to this indisputable, right? A powerful Republic owes its birth. The tyranny exercised by Philip the in the Netherlands ex, uh, excited, um, Uh, what is this word yeah excited those provinces to rise seven of them closely um, confederated bravely maintained their liberties and under the conduct of the heroes of the house of orange in spain after several vain and ruinous efforts acknowledged them sovereign and independent states now if the authority of the prince is limited and regulated by the fundamental laws the prince because again remember folks just stepping aside from this for a second When this book was written, they were talking about it from a standpoint of kingdoms and, you know, where princes and kings ruled. Okay, there's still a governance that needed to be adhered to. Um, But back to the reading here, the prince on exceeding bounds prescribed him commands without any right and even without a just title. Now, the nation is not obliged to obey him. Even the prince, let me say that again, the nation is not obliged to obey him, but may resist his unjust attempts. Doesn't matter if he's a prince or not. Now, as soon as a prince attack, this is continuing reading now, as soon as a prince attacks the constitution of the state, he breaks the contract, which bound the people to him and the people become free by the act of the sovereign and can no longer view him, but as an usurper who would load them with oppression. Now this truth is acknowledged by every sensible writer whose pen is not enslaved by fear or sold by, for hire, but some celebrated authors maintain that if the prince is invested in the supreme command in a full and absolute manner, nobody has a right to resist him, much less to curb him, and that naught remains for the nation but to suffer and obey with patience now this is founded upon the supposition that such a sovereign is not accountable to any person for the manner in which he governs and that if the nation might control his action and resist him where it thinks them unjust his authority would no longer be absolute which would be contrary to this hypothesis now they say that an absolute sovereign completely possesses all the political authority of the society, which nobody can oppose. That if he abuses it, he does ill indeed and wounds his conscience, but that his commands are not the less obligatory as being founded on a lawful right to command. That the nation, by giving him absolute authority, has reserved no share of it to itself and has submitted to his discretion. We might be content with answering that in this light where, the, where there is not any sovereign who is completely and fully absolute, but in order to remove all these vain subtleties, subtleties, excuse me, subtleties, can't even read, let us remember the essential end of civil society. Is it not to labor in concert for the common happiness of all? was it not with this view that every citizen divested himself of his rights and resigned his liberty could the society make such use of its authority as irrevocably irrevocably to surrender itself and all its members to the discretion of a cruel tyrant no certainly since it would no longer possess any right itself if it were disposed To oppress a part of the citizens, when therefore it confers to uh, the supreme and absolute government without an express reserve, it is necessarily with the tacit reserve that the sovereign shall use it for the safety of the people and not for their ruin. If he becomes the scourge of the state, he degrades himself. He is no better than the public enemy against whom the nation may and ought to defend itself. And if he has carried his tyranny to the utmost height, why should even the life of so cruel and perfidious an enemy be spared? Who shall presume to blame the conduct of the Roman Senate that declared Nero an enemy to his country? And that is the reading of that section from that chapter in book number one. So, what did we just read in this section? What does a section even mean? And again, how does it reflect with how we're living here in America based on the rule, you know, the law of nations here? See, this section emphasizes that even if a sovereign or a ruler
1: holds considerable power. There are still limits to that authority. Hence,
0: why we have the United States of America Constitution. It states that a nation has the right to resist and depose a tyrant who abuses power, violates the fundamental laws or constitution, and oppresses its people. Gee, I don't know, folks. Are we seeing all this crap kind of happen right now? Are we seeing usurpers? Are we seeing oppression? Are we seeing people who are tyrants and are committing crimes against humanity and are treasonous in their actions? I think so. See the principle resonates in the birth of powerful republics like the Netherlands struggle against the tyranny of Philip II, leading to their sovereignty and independence. So in this context of America as a republic, this passage aligns with our nation's foundation based on the rule of law, right? Checks and balances and the sovereignty of the people. See, the United States as a republic, as it should be, not a democracy, but as a republic, it upholds the idea that no individual, not even the highest authority is above the law. That's right, Hillary Clinton. Let me say that for you. Not even the highest authority is above the law. Obama, Bush, McCain, Stacey Abrams, even though you're not really in government, per se, I guess. But the nation's structure enshrined in its constitution establishes the rule of law and limits the powers of those in government to prevent tyranny and protect the rights of the people. Now, the passage also reflects, in essence, that the American belief in the right to challenge and resist unjust authority ensuring that even the most powerful leaders remain accountable to the rule of law and the will of the people. Again, folks, this is why we are standing up our general general assemblies across this land in all the counties and all the states. It underscores the importance of defending against, te- excuse me, defending against any leader who exceeds their lawful authority or threatens the liberties and well-being of the nation's citizens and the people. Two different groups, there, folks. Remember that. So, in other words, if you are the president in you know in in the you know in the um, de jure government, right the the under common law, well, technically by definition, you are a citizen at that point because you are a public servant of the people. Now, if you're just somebody who is just a regular everyday Joe Blow that gets picked to do jury duty, you are still part of the people. Now, the link between reassembling states as originally intended by the founders and the concept outlined in the previous section is deeply rooted in the notion of preventing tyranny and upholding the principles of limited government. You see, the founders of the United States designed a system with checks and balances to prevent the concentration of power in any one branch or individual. Again, it it has to be you know we we it's supposed to be a decentralized system and having the will of the people be heard more on the local level hence why we need to stand up our county general general assemblies. Restoring states to their original structure before the Reconstruction era of 1871 aligns with the idea of reclaiming a system where power is, again, decentralized, folks, ensuring that decisions are made closer to the people and are more responsive to their needs. But see, none of us would know what the hell that looks like. You ask people, well, what's a republic? People look at you and be like, I don't know, but we have one. Well, what's a republic? What does that look like to you? What does that mean to you?
1: Nobody has the slightest freaking clue. Again, reclaiming
0: a system where power is decentralized, ensuring that the decisions are made closer to the people and are more responsive to their needs. Now, to me, I don't know about you, but to me that resonates with the belief in limited government and returning to the principles of common law, emphasizing that the government should be restrained and operate within the confines of the law and the will of the people. See JFK's attempt to engage the public and empower them to reclaim their authority might be viewed in the line with this idea, and his efforts to the, you know, was was to stimulate the public awareness and engagement. Hopefully, could have been seen as advocating for a more active citizenry and a government more accountable to its people. But there's a parallel between his advocacy and the call for a return to the foundational principles of governance and ensuring that the government remains responsive and accountable to the populace. So, you know, the understanding here lies in recognition of the importance of an engaged citizenry in that limited government in a system that respects the rule of law to prevent tyranny and maintain the sovereignty of the people. Restoring the original jurisdiction of states before the reconstruction act, right before the reconstruction aligns with this broader objective of ensuring that power, you know, remains closer to the people and is wielded responsibly in accordance with the principles set forth by the nation's founders. Now, I hope some of this makes sense. Now, again, if you want to read the Law of Nations, Kirk over at Kirk's Law Corner, he has a website, kirkslawcorner.com. You click on the library tab. You go three books down if you're looking at it from your phone, um, but it's three books down. It's the Law of Nations. Click on it. It's about 1,000 pages, a little under that, okay? But it's a, it, this is where I'm pulling all of this from. It's a long chapter so obviously I'm not going to sit here and do story hour and read the whole thing we'd be on here for an hour and a half to 2 hours and I just quite frankly don't have that kind of time. I'm trying to encapsulate, you know, read the chapter and then try to, you know, enca- you know, pull out certain key pieces that I wanted to go over and summarize and discuss a little bit further in detail and just kind of again give a general overview of what that particular chapter was discussing from the law of nations. But I encourage you, read it. Read it. Reading means reading, as Kirk always says, right? And I agree with him on that. While I try to make things easier by putting things out in audio format here on the podcast. I also cannot do a you know <laughs> an audio book service here, unless you guys you know want to pay me to do that. I'd be happy to do that. Maybe I could set up, you know, a subscription, you know, side business or something where, you know, if you want the law of nations read to you, maybe I might consider doing that. I don't know, because, again, it's about, you know, 900 to 1,000 pages long. You know, if somebody, you know, if, 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 you know, a few hundred of you wanted to, you know, contribute five bucks a month, right? And I'll just read, right? I I will read, you know, uh, I will commit to reading a certain amount. Uh, each day, each week or whatever. Right. I mean, obviously I can't do it every day because things pop up, things happen. I still got this podcast, but you know, to where I, you know, read books like the laws of nations. I don't know. Maybe I might consider that. I don't know. Something to consider. But at the end of the day, I encourage and implore all of you to Do a little research yourself. Do some reading yourself. Do a little bit of studying. Kind of find out a little bit more about the history and what's going on, where we came from, where we're going, how we do it. You can find out more at national-assembly.net. Folks, get off the sidelines. Start start knowing who you are and the power you hold. Start understanding and realizing just exactly how pivotal and important you are to our society. So. With that, I want to end in prayer. We're going to close this out. And uh, like I said, maybe we might come on tomorrow and do a live. Just depends. I have to go see the body shop. I have to talk to the guy uh, at the body shop where my car is at. <sighs> I tell you, that's becoming a real ordeal right now. And I'm really getting irritated. But thankfully, I have a stepfather who is in the, you know, he runs a shop, a mechanic and body shop for a Cadillac dealership down in South Florida. And so he's been kind of guiding me along the way of what to expect, questions to ask things, you know, to watch out for, make sure that, you know, no games are being played, you know, and somebody's not trying to pull the wool over my eyes. Cause the last time I had an accident like this, that involved a deer and getting a claim was back in high school. And that was well over 20 years ago. So, and my dad helped handle that because I had no slight, you know, I haven't had the slightest clue on what to do. So technically this is really my first time really dealing with something like this on my own. So, so far it's just been quite a, a hassle. And I'm just hoping that this guy's not trying to screw me and trying to bleed out as much money as possible. Uh, That's a long story there. Uh, Maybe I'll share that with you on a different podcast once I get all this sorted out. But, yeah, so far it's been a very frustrating ordeal. I'm going to go stop by the shop tomorrow, have a nice little man-to-man conversation, let him know where I stand, because at the end of the day, I do not want games being played with me i don't want someone thinking that they can screw me over just because i'm not very familiar with the processes of what takes place here and i want to make sure that i am not getting raked over the coals here so we're going to have a nice frank conversation but at the end of the day again this is what i was telling you guys in a different podcast you are your best advocate no one will care as much as you will care okay you have to look after yourself because nobody's going to look after your own rear end Better than you. So, with that, let's pray. So, dear Heavenly Father, we come before you with hearts filled with hope and reverence, seeking your guidance and protection for our beloved country. We ask that your divine hand bring forth security, unity, peace, freedom across the states, nurturing a reassembly rooted in understanding and mutual respect. Grant us the wisdom to bridge divides and the courage to embrace inclusivity and harmony. We lift our voices in prayer for the restoration of freedom to all individuals across this great nation. May liberty and freedom reign in every corner, allowing every man and woman to thrive free from oppression and fear. Bring comfort and strength to those suffering from illness and financial hardships. May your healing touch bring peace to their bodies and solace to their bodies and peace to their minds, provide for their needs and grant them the resilience in their struggles. We also lift up those that are experiencing turmoil in their marriage, marriages. Grant them patience, compassion, and understanding. Infuse their relationships with love and forgiveness. Guiding them through the challenges and leading them to deeper connection and a mutual support. Lord, bless our land with unity, compassion, and prosperity. And may be may we be beacons of hope, spreading kindness and understanding in our communities. And grant our leaders wisdom to govern justly and with empathy. And in Your holy Son's name. Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen, ladies and gentlemen. And that is all we have today on His Hard Line. Again, that was a, we did a reading out of Job chapter 38, and then we just read a little bit out of the Law of Nations, uh, book uh, one, chapter four. And uh, what today's title, again, was called The Sovereign's Obligations and Rights. So again, I implore you, go read yourselves. Self-educate. It ain't going to kill you. Put down the phone. Stop scrolling. Get off Netflix. Get off Hulu. Stop freaking going out and drinking bottles of wine with your besties, you know, uh, on Wednesday nights when you got, you know, 50% off bottles. Stop that. Use your time better and start educating yourself. Yeah, but Jason, none of that's fun. Okay. I don't get a buzz from reading. Well, guess what? You're not supposed to get a buzz from reading. You're supposed to get an education from reading. Okay. Who cares about That TV show you so badly, desperately want to watch. Who cares? What's what, what good is that going to do? Well, it entertains me. That's right. It entertains you the bread and circus. They set up to get you distracted and to keep you from fighting against them and bringing them down. They bank on that. They count on it. In fact, they damn near bet that it's going to work. That's why the CIA is stationed right there in Hollywood, because again, they use Hollywood and movies and sitcoms and music to brainwash the masses, to conform the way they want the people to be conformed to. Stop being a brainwashed drone, stand up and start critically thinking for yourselves and be a part of the solution and stop being a drain on society and just grab your popcorn and watch the movie. Cause the movie is so much fun to watch. It's so much fun. Boy, I hope there's a sequel. Do you think there would be, there'll be a sequel? I hope there's a sequel, maybe a prequel.
1: Boy, if there's a prequel, I'm gonna, I, I might not have enough popcorn for that one. Oh boy, whatever shall I do?
0: I know some of you might be thinking, my God, either Jason's lost it or you guys might be laughing at my my funny voices. But the sad thing is, I'm not trying to be funny. In a way, I'm actually mocking people out there who just live their life to just sit on the couch and just waste their lives away watching the freaking boob tube. If I haven't made myself loud and clear enough on this, get off your ass and start doing something about it. Boy, I thought that would have a little bit more of an echo than it already than it did. What, what, what happened here? Why well, come I don't have an echo? I'm going to adjust that. Something happened with my settings here. Anyway, you get what I'm saying, though. Get up and do something. Ladies and gentlemen, that's all I have for you today. I hope you have a blessed night, blessed day, wherever you're at in the world. And remember... Like it states in Matthew 7, 7, chapter 7, verse 7 ask and it will be given to you, seek and you will find, knock and a door will be opened to you. God bless, ladies and gentlemen, and we will see you back here tomorrow. Remember, ladies and gentlemen, remember, ladies and gentlemen, gentlemen, we are firm, we we are steadfast, and we are uncompromising. 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 The enemy enemy has crossed crossed that line for the last time. It is up to people like you and I to hold that line. They've crossed the line way too many times and it is time for us to stand up this republic and get after it. We gotta do this for God. We gotta do this for our families. We gotta do this for America, for the voiceless. It's time to get after it, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you for joining the show. Let's hear it his, his Heart line. We'll see, we'll you, see back you back here next time. time.